This episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is brought to you by Gusto, online payroll and benefits service built for modern small businesses. And keep listening, I'm going to tell you how to get three months free. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jance. My guest today is Jason Dorsey. He is a generational expert and consultant and co-author of a new book called Z Economy, How Gen Z Will Change the Future of Business and What to Do About It. So, Jason, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Thrilled to be here, a fan of the show and, and great to cool get to, sh- to share a little bit. Well, so I know this is a question you get asked all the time because, you know, a lot of people want to know the answer to this. Uh, how would you define Gen Z? Gen Z. So the way we would define Gen Z is that the oldest members in terms of just uh, birth years, usually the easiest, uh, were born around 1996. And we think they end around 2015. And the key distinguishing factor where millennials end and Gen Z begins uh, is September the 11th, 2001. Mm. And at our research firm, it's called the Center for Generational Kinetics, we're behavioral researchers. And so we were able to prove that kids um, as over the age of six, five, six, uh, were able to remember 9-11. But those who are born younger than that don't. And that's why millennials ends around 1995-96 and doesn't go all the way to 2001. So Gen Z is now about 25 years old. They're the fastest growing generation in the workforce, uh, the most important generation of consumer trendsetters, and they are significantly misunderstood, which is why we researched them. <laughs> so what's interesting about, I think, these generational identifiers, period, um, I'm at the tail end of the baby boomers. Um, I think the baby boomers is probably too big. You know, it's like a 20 year <laughs> span. And so I'm sort of in the middle of nowhere land, uh, you know, the, <laughs> between the uh, baby boomers and Gen X. But, you know, uh, you, you if you think about baby boomers being like 56 to 75 or something like that, um, you know, age span, mm-hmm. probably have a lot of things in common, frankly. Um, but what does a five-year-old and a 25-year-old have in common? I mean, how do you, how do you, you know, define that group, you know, today as some sort of cultural identifier when, you know, many of those members are, you know, in, in preschool? Yeah, great question. So let's take the baby boomer example, actually. It's a, it's a really relevant one. So boomers were born in the U.S. roughly 1946 to 1964. However, we believe that that generational range is too large. We think that older boomers and younger boomers are actually quite different. They had different yeah. formative events and different introductions to technology. One was more 60s kids, one was more 70s. So very different. And I this agree. is where generations start to get a little bit uh you have to be careful because sometimes uh, people have been saying things for so long, they believe it to be true. And mm-hmm. the reality is it's not actually grounded in research. And so as a researcher, I'm always like, well, I know you've heard that a hundred times, but that doesn't mean it's right. <laughs> you know? yeah. so, so your point is, is spot on. And then when we go down, what we're looking for is called predictability by scenario, which is when does a, a group of people born about the same time start to behave differently than those born before or after? Mm-hmm. Sometimes there's an event that separates one generation from the other, like in this case, 9-11, or right now, the generation defining moment for Gen Z is COVID-19. And so uh, to take the example, the exact example you gave, uh, we believe, and we came out with this a few months ago, that the generation after Gen Z has now been born. And the reason we know that is they're already three, four, five years old, but their experience during COVID-19 is very different. They might think, oh, I got more time with my family or, you know, maybe I'm, there's more home more. 
but they're not having the emotional anchor, the where were you when moment that even the eight, nine, 10 year old are. So for example, in your, you know, let's call it uh, five or six up to age 24, 25, right mm -hmm. now, those two groups don't have the same things going on. Obviously one's an adult, one's in kindergarten, but if you age them up, just like your baby boomers, yeah. when they pass through the life stage, which is what you do, you pass through life stages and stay in the same mm -hmm. generation. Eventually when they're adults, they'll have a lot more in common. Now, where we'll see big differences is around technology. And also we wrote about this in the Z economy book. This is really cool. Older members of Gen Z, the 18 to 25 demographic, um, are having the worst experience during COVID-19. In our research, we've proven they were the number one generation to get laid off, have hours reduced or have wages reduced. You know, they've studied, maybe they've been in college for four years, studied retail merchandising, they came out and there's no jobs there. I mean, uh, there, it's just, it's a really rough time to be the oldest member of the generation in transitional years. But the younger you go, and this is where it gets pretty wild, we actually think that COVID-19 could become a positive. So if you take about like my daughter, she's nine years old, she's in fourth grade. Right now she's learning on Google Classroom. She builds all her slides on Google Slides. She builds them in English and Spanish. They have animation. She records it. She uploads it. She does all her classes all day long. I'm not saying it's the best education experience at all, but I am saying to her, it's totally normal. And she doesn't have to ask for help. And she will forever be able to take that and move forward along with a whole bunch of other things because of how she's been forced through this pandemic to be able to respond. And I'm not talking about social or emotional issues, but there are skills. At the same time, younger members of the generation will be able to learn from the older members of the generation what to do and what not to do. Millennials, my generation, the oldest members like me, crashed into the Great Recession and we had wage stagnation, unemployment, all this stuff. But the youngest members had an amazing economy, right? <laughs> they got to ride on the tailwinds and know what to avoid. So when we look at the generations, Right now, the younger they are, the more um, they have different life stages that they're going through. But eventually, as they get older, that's when they become yeah. more cohesive. So and, and also, John, the thing I think is important to note is that we view generations as clues and not a box. Yeah. And I think that's really important. There are powerful ways to better connect with, build trust and drive influence. But that's it. But for most of what we do, particularly on the marketing side, that's what people need is that advantage, those clues to be able to faster connect with, build trust and drive influence. Yeah, and I, I suspect a lot of millennials particularly can relate to that idea of the box because, you know, the, the millennials were certainly put put in a in, in a box. Like, Absolutely. As one of them. Talk to millennials. How do you do this? <laughs> How do you work with these people? They're crazy. I'm sure I'm sure millennials are happy Gen Z is now showing up and on the radar, right? Because like a new, new group to new group to, to, to pick on. So I I'll just I'll throw up the like softball question for you. What do we need to know about Gen Z? Yeah. Uh, so what do we need to know about Gen Z? Well, uh, it is a softball question, but I think the answer is really interesting. We need to know that Gen Z is older than most people think. They're already mm -hmm. 24, 25 years old. And as I shared, fastest growing generation in the workforce, number one drivers of consumer trends. So already they're important. And you joke about millennials and the idea that, you know, everybody's tired of hearing about millennials or everybody thinks our pants <laughs> are falling off. We live with our mom as a, I am a millennial. So I, you know, I, I have to live this stereotype. Sometimes right. people throw it at me. But what happened, and I think, you know, your business really uh, was was very successful around this. Businesses didn't respond to millennials being different. And many of them played catch up and really got stuck flat footed. And some of them never recovered. And so I think what's different now is we know that sort of we know that history and people don't want that to happen again. And when they hear that Gen Z is already 25 years old, it really catches their attention. But then we go and see they don't remember a time before social media. There is nothing. It's not a breakthrough. It's not an innovation. It's their number one most trusted news channel. I mean, that's yep. pretty shocking. Even millennials didn't come of age with social media. They migrated to social media. Gen Z's only known smartphones. That changes how they think about engagement. In our research, we've proven Gen Z is the number one generation willing to give their personal data to have a better digital experience. 
which is wild. At the same time, and this is really shocking and I think very relevant to your listeners because you know I'm a fan of the show, is that Gen Z is a very frugal or pragmatic generation. And that's because they came of age around the Great Recession. They saw a parent or parents struggle and people lose jobs and lose houses. And they heard all this sort of horrible financial things. And as a result, Gen Z is much more practical with their money. They're very much focused on getting a good deal or lowest price. And I think that's incredibly important because people think, oh, young people, they're just free spenders out throwing the money around. That could not be further from the truth. You know, there's a lot of examples of this in the book, but one of my favorite is, you know, you have a Gen Z kid who it's their birthday and they get $50 for their birthday and they take that money and they, they go into their bedroom and they put it away and then they come back and they say, mom, can I have some money? <laughs> and mom, the mom says, no, no, you just got $50 for your birthday. And they say, no, no, that's my money. <laughs> and so they've always had couponing. They've always had discounts. They've always had recommendations. I mean, the generation is a fundamentally different way of engaging with content and with brands. And that's incredibly exciting for those who choose to adapt. And it's going to be incredibly frustrating for those who don't. Yeah, I, I know one of the things I see, particularly as a marketer, is that, you know, the, the bar is so much higher in terms of the experience. Your website has to work a certain way just because, as you said, they're looking at it on their phone and yeah. it has to work a certain way. And they expect a certain thing, even out of your marketing, your marketing needs to entertain um, as much as it needs to inform. And I think that that is a real wake up that's, a, you know, a lot of companies are getting it and they're getting it right. But how does a company that... It, has to straddle sort of the transition of customers. So in other words, a lot of their customers still pick up a phone and call them, you know, a phone that's like plugged into a wall <laughs> and call yeah. them and, and need stuff. Um, and so they need that person answering the phone who can sit there and go through it. But then there's a lot of people that, you know, that are customers that need a very frictionless experience. They want to be able to schedule, you know, with their phone, you know, online. I mean, how does a company navigate the fact that these different groups, you know, have different needs and have different expectations? Yeah, uh, a really brilliant question. And the thing about that question that I think is important is size and sophistication of the company matters. You know, we have some clients, uh, well, many of them that are huge global brands. I mean, very recognizable ones, Adidas, Mercedes, you know, Marriott, you name it. And how they're going to think about answering that question is very different than the three location retailer or the financial advisor or somebody else who's got a smaller business. So at the, for these large companies that we work with, we talk about to them about having a marketing strategy and a marketing approach that allows people by channel to meet them where they are. And I think that's incredibly important. You know, what works on TikTok or Instagram doesn't work in a lot of these other channels. And, and that's where so many companies make a mistake, right? Not all of your customers are not 22 years old. I mean, for some right. brands, maybe, but, but they're definitely right. not for most right. legacy brands. So one is to not try to be everything to everybody. And what we always say when you're trying to straddle a few, and let's say you're more resource constrained, I know that's certainly the case for lots of companies, is you want to pick the two or three personas. But this is the, the trick that I, I teach people. It's not just the personas that you've built your business on, but you need a persona that represents the customers that are going to take you into the future. And that's where I think people struggle. So, for example, we know that Gen Z is the most diverse generation in U.S. history. We know in terms of their values for companies, what they're really focused on is mission and purpose. However, what that specifically means to them, because we've tested this in our research, right, more than 65 generational studies, is we know that that means they have a commitment to social justice or social causes, and they have a commitment to combat climate change. I'm not trying to make this political. I'm just sharing what we find. Yeah, yeah, and so yeah. Knowing that, you've got to be willing, if that's what you want to do, to be able to put that forward. We also know that Gen Z is much more interested in video than any other form. Why is that important? They think reading is work. 
So if you think reading is work, that changes how you think about engaging them on these different platforms. And so just knowing that you're able to say, okay, does this fit that 18 or 20 or 22 year old or 16 year old I'm trying to reach and do so in a way that doesn't turn off the 45 year old because you can't just get rid of your current customers, but you do need to create a place to test and really build out what works to bring in that next generation. Otherwise you won't be here in five years and nobody likes to hear that, but for many companies, it's the truth. You know, today content is everything. So our websites are really content management systems, but they've got to work like one. Check out Zephyr. It is a modern cloud-based CMS system that's licensed only to agencies. It's really easy to use. It's very fast. Uh, won't mess with your SEO. I mean, it really reduces the time and effort to, to launch uh, your client's websites. Beautiful themes, just really fast, profitable way to go. They include an agency services to really kind of make a, them your plug and play dev shop. Check out Zephyr.com. That is Z-E-P-H-Y-R CMS.com. So um, how is loyalty attained? I mean, because I believe that loyalty, the, even the concept of loyalty has changed dramatically. But I think a lot of people discount it as just say, oh, they're just not loyal. Uh -huh. But I think there's I think there's a different explanation, isn't there? Oh, there's such a that's such a great question. Yes. Uh, we talk about this in the Z economy book. People frequently confuse loyalty and frequency. And so loyalty it really means an emotional bond and a willingness to potentially even turn down other options that are maybe a better fit because you're loyal to that brand or you're loyal to that company or that experience or that product or service. Whereas frequency is you just happen to go there a lot. Now, what's interesting is you can build loyalty over time through frequency. Right. But we do know that loyalty ultimately drives frequency. So it's sort of a backwards thing. And that's why data, because we're obviously a research firm, can be misleading. Oh, somebody comes here a lot of times. They must be really loyal. No, not necessarily. A competitor opens up down the street that's easier and has a better experience. And all of a sudden they switch. What we yeah. do know with Gen Z is Gen Z is willing to be loyal. But this is the trick. They need to know that you recognize them individually. And this is the hardest part. That deeper sense of personalization is really important for brands. You know, people like to say that that Gen Z, you know, doesn't buy from a company. They join the brand. Like, I don't know if that's necessarily true because some of the Gen Zers we meet would say that's totally not true. I shop at thrift stores. But <laughs> at the same time, uh, what we do see is that they do want to feel a sense of connection and you understand them individually. And I think that is really important. And there's lots of ways to make that happen. But what we also see is that Gen Z is very willing to refer a product or service to their friends. I think that's shocking, but think about it. Everything they do is online. So of course they're gonna talk about a great experience. Of course they're gonna recommend something. In fact, this is the generation that most wants to be influencers. They're not only gonna post it on Instagram, they're gonna tell you what label it is, right? <laughs> Put a yeah, link. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. so we believe that young people and this wasn't just Gen Z, millennials got the same rap, uh, that, that they're not very loyal and they won't drive referrals. And what we actually see in the data is the opposite. And I think that's really important. So when you look about the lifetime value, it's not just the lifetime value of the Gen Z, which usually is the highest because, of course, they're the youngest, have the most purchases ahead. But the referral value that they bring is really tremendous. Now, I'll tell you, they don't like the word referral because they think it's salesy. Yeah. But if you ask them different ways, like, do you have any friends we can help? Do you have a friend you think this would really be a you know great fit for? Those types of things, they love that because they want to be able to be the discoverer, right? They want to lead the discovery that then brings it to their friends. All right, let's talk about a couple trends, shall we? Um, I'm tired of hearing about blockchain and cryptocurrency, but you know, I'm, I'm, old, <laughs> I'm old enough that I'll probably be able to get away without having to really 
deal with it (laughs) in the in the you know mainstream sense but um for this generation um that's going to be their concept of money isn't it potentially what what we do know is uh, their concept of money will be digital i think that's sort of the first leap and and we talk with a lot of retailers about this you know the idea that they want to be able to pay by phone is i think really important and it's a bigger leap than many retailers sort of naturally think this is a generation that that truly may, may not carry cash ever they don't this they're not worried about this coin shortage going on they've never carried coins and so for them it's the ability to pay easily it's the ability to maximize coupons or discounts easily and it's the ability to send money to their friends easily all of which we study and so when you look at things like a blockchain crypto, just all this sort of distributed ledger type piece, what you just notice is it's another way to say we're going to safely uh, enable you to track activities, money, stored value, whatever it is, and be able to keep a record and use it for different things. Do I think in the future that it could become normal to them? Sure. But what you're going to have to see, though, and you just started to see it, by the way, this year, is you're starting to see um, uh, blockchain and banks actually come together. Because banks really are the barrier. And I don't mean this in a negative way. I just mean this in a functional way. Banks are the barrier for most people when it comes to money, right? They still need a a bank to put their money. They still need money for their paycheck to go in there, even though they don't get a paycheck, but the digital money to go. So you still have to have that banking function. Eventually, whether that's PayPal or, I don't know, Chime or any of these other, like eventually if one of these other groups comes out and basically says, hey, you don't need to be a bank, maybe they'll displace that. But until then, I think banks are going to have an important role. And once they ultimately start to engage with um, all these various types of blockchain, which is happening, by the way, uh, then I think you'll see it become very normalized. But the banks have to actually get on board. It's got to be in their interest. Yeah. Well, I was going to say that's once they can figure out how to make money off of it, then uh, they'll they'll get on board. (laughs) (laughs) True of most industries. (laughs) Yes. yes. Um, In my uh, high school graduating class. I, I went to a college prep, you know, high school. So this was pretty common. I had about 230 members uh, of my graduating class. and I think 229 of them went to college. Um, I wow. don't know, you know, what percentage graduated from college or, or stayed four years. But my real question is, is college still a thing? College is a thing with a caveat. And the thing with the caveat is uh, college is still a great way to build some self-reliance to try out a lot of different things, to make new friends and start your new story in a safer environment. Okay. Now those are all caveats and they're all, you know, affluence has a lot to do with it. Geography has a lot to do with it. I mean, there's a lot there to unpack, but fundamentally for a lot of people, college is a good transitional period, even right now. Now where it gets, I think dicey is if you can't have those experiences due to COVID-19, is it still the right decision? That, I think, is a more nuanced answer. And I think you're you're seeing Gen Z say, you know what, I'm going to take a year off. I'm going to take a gap year, which, by the way, statistically, they're highly likely to not finish, much more likely to not finish if they take a year off. But maybe that'll change because there's so many of them doing it. You'll see them say, I'm going to go to community college and get my credits for you know a better price. I'm going to do online learning at a, a state college where I know the credits are going to transfer. So we are seeing more sophistication around that. I think part of the problem, which is in problem, not in a negative way, but the barrier to sort of looking at other paths is in the U.S. in particular, we say that in order to be successful, you have to go to college. And that's very much a parental thing, right? Uh, At the same time, the headwind, though, and this is really interesting, is student loan debt. The millennials were drowning and are drowning in so much student loan debt that it's given not only Gen Z, this is the key, Gen Z and their parents, because remember, the parents often co-sign. The parents have to help facilitate this. 
So Gen Z and their parents pause to say, is it worth it? And I think that pause, that one question, and we talk about this in the Z economy book, how we're thinking about education is caused them to say, maybe this one size fits all path isn't there. But in spite of that, the trades, and we work with many trade organizations, are still struggling to recruit young people. It's not yeah. seen as glamorous. It's often you have to work with your hands and you know so forth. So I think there's still much work to be done where I get very excited. And this, I think, is the bigger question is, what does the future of education look like? And, and I believe this strongly, and we're working in this space a lot. I believe what you're going to ultimately see, like my daughter and others will benefit from this, is what's called adaptive learning, which means you get your phone, your whatever your phone is you're using, or iPad or tablet or whatever, and you're going to it's going to do some simple, really simple sort of assessments, very simple to figure out where you are in different things, and then over time, it's going to serve up the best content in the world to you to teach mm-hmm. you. I'm going to make this up uh, multiplication for fourth graders, and so, but it's going to be unique and individual to her. It's not searching YouTube trying to find a good lesson that teaches you multiplication, but actually the best in the world specific to you. And this is already being built, by the way. And so now you're going to enable a whole generation of young people to get served up this great content specific to them, not to displace teachers at all, but to augment them, to be able to say, hey, it's really hard to teach 25 kids at the same time and really personalize and differentiate that. But if I can provide this to you in a way that you can get on your phone or elsewhere, then I can really help pull you forward, maybe coach you and so forth. And Gen X and millennials who are the parents are much more open to this now. And that's a big shift. And then young people are used to looking at a small device. So I think adaptive learning over the next five to 10 years is going to be the future of education. And then it gets really interesting when you look at higher ed and what's the role of higher ed and how does that transition me into these other places of adulthood? So. Yeah. And I think one of the things that is clearly um, a side effect of of COVID, if you will, is just the acceleration of some of this innovation. Yes. Um, I, mm-hmm. I think it's clearly exposed, you know, the different learning styles mm-hmm. uh, that, that people have and that the one size fits all classroom is not necessarily uh, the best environment for a lot of people. Uh, yeah. So it, 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 yeah. And, and it really kind of leads me to my last question. Since you wrote the book, um, what's changed? I would say the biggest thing that's changed since we wrote the book, which we were fortunate, we were able to update a lot of it, but we've done so much research since we can't put everything in there. So it's on our website. You can download it for free is, is how COVID-19 is impacting the generations right now. And what does that mean for the future of work and for the future of sales and marketing? And I think that's really important because the longer that this continues and the more normal it becomes, remember, now you're going to have a whole generation of people that that seventh grade to them was spent at home. Their senior year was not, you know, playing football or going to prom or a work study job or whatever. This is all they'll ever know. And so I think as this uh, pandemic continues, it's going to have a more and more profound impact on the generation. And I think that to me is something that, well, one, we're following it very closely, but two, we don't know exactly where it's going to go. But I think over the next year we will. And, And that, you know, as generational researchers, we get very excited to follow that. Well, and I think what's interesting is it's impacting all the generations. You know, mm-hmm. not so it's not just like, oh, these people are experiencing this. Um, I mean, every generation is experiencing and participating in behaviors that yep. I think will become permanent or at least much bigger than they were. Yeah. One of the things that's interesting, all of our studies are cross generational because we believe that in order to understand a generation, you have to really understand all the generations. Right. We call it generational context. Um, in our latest study that we did, we looked at the impact of COVID across generations. And to your point, it was interesting. Baby boomers were the number one generation to have to take unpaid time off 
They were the number one generation saying they were going to delay how long uh, when they could retire. They thought they'd have to work longer. Number one generation to have to reach into their emergency savings account. At the same time, Gen X, they felt pulled in three directions. They're taking care of a parent. They're taking care of their kids and they're trying to work. And now I can go through all of them. But, but what's fascinating to me is people run around saying we're all in this together. And as a generational researcher, I could tell you that's not true. Yes, we're all going through this at the same time, but the experience we're having by generation can be very different. Plus other things, urban versus rural. I mean, you name it. And so I think that nuance, nuance is really important. And I know that's the type of thing that you talk about. So I, I just well, get fired up about it. Here's the way I've defined it. We're all in the same storm. We're in very different boats. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Absolutely love it. All right. So Jason, tell people where they can find out more about Z Economy and the work that you are doing there in your research firm. Sure. Absolutely. The best place to learn more about Z Economy is just to go on Amazon and check out the book title, Z-C-O-N-O-M-Y, or you can go on zeconomy.com. Or if you want our research, sort of what John and I were chatting about, you can download lots of it for free uh, on our research website, which is genhq.com, G-E-N-H-Q.com. We publish lots of research and we give it away for free because we're passionate about separating myth from truth. Awesome. Well, Jason, thanks for stopping by uh, the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. And uh, hopefully uh, hopefully we can run into you next time I'm in Austin, if that ever occurs, uh, we get on the road again. <laughs> I look forward to that. Socially distance or whatever's allowed then. <laughs>